I want to welcome to the show one of the nicest MCs and artists in the game who goes by the name of Rex Life Raj. Welcome to the show. We're here to discuss a new album, Blue Hour. Rex Life Raj, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show, Sports and Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max, Light 365, iHeartRadio. How's your night going, man? It's cool, man. I'm just relaxing, chilling. Um, after this, I'm about to go walk the dogs and shit, so I'm doing cool. It, congratulations on this album because this was a deep album, just listening to it, and I relate to it in a lot of ways, and you spoke about it in other interviews, just you wanting to help others with this album, that this album was a transition piece, and it was something just to go through for grief. Yeah, that's literally, like you said, that's literally what it was. It's about, it's really about the the feelings I experienced after my mom passed and kind of not even after she passed, but kind of just like dealing with that whole situation. Um, and that's really, you know, just the feelings and emotions that come with grief and just working through it. Because I feel like it's a conversation that everybody needs to have, but not a lot of people like to have that conversation because grief is like the underlying theme for everyone. You know, everybody going to die. But it's like we we don't really talk about it in depth like we need to. So I just wanted to put out something that, you know, could help people that's going through it. You recorded this album in your parents' old computer room. Uh, I recorded maybe three three or four of the songs in that room. It's a room I grew up in. Um, It started as, because my parents ran a business their whole life. um, Delivery business for packages. A delivery service. And so they had a... um, office in Berkeley but she also my mom would work out of the house sometimes so that back in the day you know when when computers were still kind of new we just had one computer in the house before laptops and shit so we just called it the computer room um and so yeah that was a the room that I literally learned business in I learned how to make music in um I learned everything in that room and it was the same room that she transitioned in when they put her on hospice they put her in that room and she passed away um, and then after she passed away, I was taking care of my dad. And so I had to be home a lot, taking him to dialysis, taking him to Kaiser, to the hospital. Um, so I didn't really have much time to go to the real studio. So I was like, I'm gonna just set up, you know, like the old days, set the studio up in the room. And yeah, like three or four of the songs came out of that room. My favorite off of the album is Hands and Knees. And you speak about just the struggles that you go through and people who aren't there for you, whether it's friends and family during this difficult time. And they only see the highlights. They don't be seeing the struggle. That's one of the realest lines I have ever heard in a song, because that's so true, no matter for what it is, any career, because in order to make it or just when you're going through the lows, no one sees that. They only see when you're winning. And sometimes people don't always capture that, especially on social media. They want to capture what's going on as far as the positives and what's glamorous as far as celebrating the small wins or the big wins in their life. But you captured that on your song and that, man, I'm going through a tough time right now and there's not a lot of people here with me. Right. Yeah, no, it's exactly like you say, because that's, you know, that's what social media is. It's literally a highlight reel of everybody's life. Um, It's not too many people putting like the lows and the pain and the suffering and the grief and everything that they're going through on there. And so that's like, that's one of the reasons I did it, not only with the album, but if you look at my captions and everything I've been writing, it's like I've been grieving in the open this whole time to let people know that they're not alone. You know what I'm saying? And it's been crazy the amount of people who've been in my DMs or sending me messages about them going through the same thing or, you know, their parents battled cancer for seven years and the album helped them, you know, heal in certain ways or it's helping them get through it. It's just crazy how many people are dealing with it and they don't speak on it. And it kind of let me know that, yeah, bro, you're doing the right thing by putting yourself out there like that. Cause at first I was like, man, this might be too personal. These are like, I'm sharing a lot of moments that I had with my mom that are super personal, super special to me. Even these prayers, like these one-on-one prayers I was having with her in the hospital 
on, you know, in her last few days, um, it was kind of weird for me because I was like, oh, that might be too much. But the just the reaction that I'm getting from people tapping in and telling me like how much it's helping them heal or it's helping them get through their grieving process kind of lets me know I'm doing the right thing. New normal. It's it's difficult to accept it, but when did it become just a reality for you? Because when people die in your life, it's a difficult time and just it comes to full on realization and that this is really the new normal. So when did that just set in and you had to accept it from there that this is actually happening? Um, For me, uh, it's, it started to happen even before my mom passed away. You know what I'm saying? Like the idea of grief, people apply it literally to after death, but like I was reading, cause I'm just like the type of person, like I need to get my mind right and wrap my head around things. Um, I was reading and this lady explained that grief isn't just death. Grief, grief is, you know, understanding like, oh, my mom may never walk again. You know, that's grief. She's not going to be the same woman. Even if she makes it through this, she won't be the same woman that she was before. Or these moments are fleeting. They're temporary. You're already grieving this stuff before the actual grief happens. So I was like, it's crazy. I started grieving as soon as my mom was diagnosed. Because when she got diagnosed, it was you know, stage four, it was everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So, um, to me, that was the new normal in terms of, cause my life, I was doing rap music. I was just traveling and doing all this shit. And then when that happened, my life literally changed to being a full-time caregiver in a day. You know what I'm saying? So, um, that, that song was about just the whole process, not even just after she passed away, even though like that's a real new normal cause she's not here. Um, but it's just like, it's a journey of grief. And that song is about just, you know, that song was crazy about that song is inspired by um, Coldest Winter by Kanye West, because 808 and Heartbreak is one of my favorite Kanye albums. And for the longest, I didn't know that Coldest Winter was about his mom. And I just heard it as a love song. And I was like, damn, that's really clean that this whole time. I'm thinking it's a love song, but then when you understand the story behind it, you hear it totally different. So I wanted to write that song as a love song. If you heard it, it's just a love song. But then if you know my story, it's like, oh, damn, that's really about his mom. Um, so, yeah, that that song just came from the whole the whole process of grieving. Just listening to the Blue Hour and learning about your story and just how close you were with your mother, it reminds me of Kanye and Donda. It really does. It's just drawing the close transitions. And you also had a very close relationship with your father because I heard about him being a Black Panther and him teaching you just how you're viewed in this world and him giving you entrepreneurship skills when you were younger. For sure. And that's it's crazy you say that because when I watched the, the Kanye West documentary and I saw his mom, she had the same energy that my mom had. Like in her eyes, Kanye could do no wrong. Whatever Kanye wanted to do, she was 100% on board, 100% supportive in the most thorough way. And I feel like my mom was like that. Like I, I, my parents never planted no seeds of doubt in me. I feel like I could do anything I put my mind to. And that's really from parenting, you know what I'm saying? Like telling me, no, yo, you could do that. The same with my dad. He was that way, just super, super disciplined, super on top of everything and just super real about um, navigating the world as a black man. You know what I'm saying? Cause he came from, you know, the real struggle in the sixties and the seventies when, Black people were were a lot more united and making progress. So he saw the potential that we could have. Um, and he saw the forces that, you know, were put there to stop that potential. And so all those things were um, preached to me from a young age. So it just kind of made me who I was, who I am. With everything that's happened in 
the past year, especially with your parents passing, have you questioned if there is a God because there is so much negativity going on in your life? Because I've heard you say that you're spiritual, but not religious. I've heard, I've read that somewhere. Have you questioned if there's a God just to have all the negativity going on in your life? 1000%. Um, I don't understand how people could not, but it's also interesting because my mom, like her faith was so strong. She never questioned God to, you know, ever her whole life, even when she was going through it at, at her lowest lows, being on hospice, you know, her last words were prayers, um, you know, and she just trusted God fully. But for me, it's just like, um, when I look at situations like that, it's like, man, she's one of the most loyal, faithful Christian women I've ever met in my life. Everybody gets that energy from her. Why would God do that to her? You know, it's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. Um, but, you know, it's just like, you got to understand that it's okay to not understand you know what I'm saying? Like you try to wrap your mind around things. That's how you go crazy. I'm kind of dealing with that with one of my best friends was killed last week. And my condolences, man. I appreciate that. And one of the homies is just like, just battling with that every day. Like, cause he's super religious. Um, and he's just like, I don't understand why God would do that. Cause the dude that got killed was, you know, not in the streets, not with the shit, you know, it's pure. It was a pure soul like my mom. And it's just like, man, at some point you gotta, you know, you can't try to understand it. There is no reasoning behind it. You know, you'll just drive yourself crazy trying to figure it out. And I think that's one of the lessons I learned when my mom was like, it's some things you got to let go. You got to let go of the, like, I had to let go of the idea of potential futures with my mom. Like I had to let go of the idea of, well, she's going to be there when I get married. She's going to be there when I buy my first house. She's going to be there when I have kids. It's just like these preconceived notions of your life that you have, could switch at any minute in it and the sooner you learn to let go and just accept it for what it is the more at peace you'll be but I don't think um I think that's easier said than done you know whatever it is in me allows me to accept things as they are and kind of move on you know I'm still hurting I'm still grieving but I don't tend to to cling to ideas you know in my head of what I want things to be like you know life happens shit changes and you, and you got to you know, adapt, take care of yourself through it all and just understand that it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And you've been going through a lot here and I couldn't even imagine if I lost my mother because I think that would be world ending for me if that happened. And you see that with Kanye and some people think, you know, because Kanye has been so erratic over the years, some people draw it back to him losing his mother because you can go back to that. And after that, Kanye kind of changing his personality. How have you been handling yourself otherwise from your music? Because your music has been a form of therapy, but have you approached any therapists out there to speak to about what you've been going through besides working on music to escape the grief session? For sure. Yeah. I had a therapist, um, for a little while and it was cool. Like we did zoom shit cause you know, COVID, um, yeah. and you know, it, it was helpful at the time, but I feel like with therapy it's just like a relationship. You got to find somebody that works for you, you know, and then, you know, you might grow out of your relationship with your therapist and need to find another one. And I feel like that's kind of where I was with my therapist, but also like, I want my next therapy sessions to be in person. Like the, the computer shit is cool, but I want to actually be in person. But I think therapy for sure is super helpful. I'll be telling all the homies to, you know, get therapy. It's a million ways to do it now. Just because like, even if it's not therapy, it's just literally talking to people and getting a different perspective. You know what I'm saying? Because to me, that's what therapy is. Therapy is, I see you seeing the world a certain way. Let me provide you with another way an alternative way that might be more helpful to you to see the world. Um, so yeah, I think that therapy is super, super ne- necessary. And I don't even think it has to be, 
you know, a therapist. It could just be, like you said, for me, it's music. For some people, it's going outdoors and hiking. For some people, it's journaling, meditating, just finding something um, that's a, a safe space, a, a place of peace for you, for sure. No, this album was definitely an escape, and you, you could tell that you're really going through it. And speaking about other things on the album, when you mentioned that no one finna come save you, that's a real thing as well. What would you say was your significance? Because in my ways and what I'm going through in my life, I related it to a different way. But as far as no one's going to finna come save you, is it during your grief session that you're going through right now? Or is it something that you're reflecting back on earlier in your career once you came home and it was tough for you to make it in the music industry and you were looking for someone to take you in as far as a record label and management? What was it from from that point of view of yours and significance of no one's finna come save you? To me, I think it's everything. It's every situation. I feel like anybody you see that's successful nine times out of 10, unless it's some fluke shit, that they're, they're a self-starter. You know what I'm saying? They figure out things, you know, themselves. They don't wait for people. Like, it's cool to have people. I'm not saying, like, don't have a team around you and have people helping you. Um, but a lot of times I think people get in their own way with the narrative they have in their head and the thoughts that they tell themselves and these limit the limiting beliefs that they have. And I feel like a lot of times it's just you stepping out on faith and being like, I'm going to figure it out. You know, let the pieces fall where they may. I'll put them together, you know, as I, as they come. But for me, it's just like I said, it's just being a self-starter and understanding that everything starts from within. You know, any any journey you want to start, you can start today. You can start right now, whether it be fitness, whether it be being more spiritual, whether it be health. Like you can start right now and it starts with you making that decision like I'm going to change my life. Um, and I feel like a lot of people wait for, you know the sign or for somebody to help them or, you know, a sign, uh, you know, a message from God or whatever. But a lot of times it's just literally just you bouncing up being like, I'm about to take control of my own situation. And I feel like a lot of people just sleep on themselves in that regard. How much does this change your artistry going forward? Because I read online that you can make 20 albums based on this experience that you're going through right now. And that's a real thing that you said, because you can. And originally from what you had planned, how does this change your artistry going forward and putting out music and content? Um, yeah, like you said, it's just like, is grief is so impactful. It just changes how you see the entire world. And I feel like I can make music forever about that. But also, it let me know the because I knew my music was powerful, you know what I'm saying? But Absolutely. let me know the real power of it. Like when I'm getting all of these DMs and I was talking to my boy about it yesterday. And I think it's because the album is about a very specific topic of grief, of cancer, of parents passing, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like that's a very specific thing that I put all of my energy and intentions behind and focused on that. And um, and just being vulnerable and really opening up about everything I was going through in all these ways has let people into my mind and my heart. And in turn, it allows them to open up as well. So it, it makes me want to be a lot more vulnerable in my music, a lot more real in my music. It makes me feel like everything else, like, you know, the shit you do for the clubs or the parties or just kind of anything records. It, they don't really hold a place in my heart like that because I see the healing power of my music. Yeah. And with the club and party records, I say it all the time because I really appreciate what you've been doing. I've listened to Father Figure, California Poppy. I've been tuned into your music for years now and you make real life music. And that's something that we need more of in life because there's always a time and a place to listen to the party tracks at clubs. But at the end of the day, there's something called real life and right. not every day is a party. Right. No, one thousand percent. And I think that's what it's about. Just 
you know, the more I'm transparent and honest with myself and put that in the music, I think it's just, it's hitting people in a different way. Yeah. Did you have a conversation with Wale when doing this album? Did you share any thoughts with him about the whole grieving process and if he's faced it in his life when making the song Beauty and the Madness? No, I've never talked to Wale in my life. Wow. That was a, that was a pure empire play. It was like some crazy shit, bro. So I had did Beauty and the Madness in LA in a studio session. I did my hook and my verse. And um, I think it was Tina from Empire was like, hey, Fireboy, Fireboy um, DML is in San Francisco at the studio. I want you to pull up and meet him. And if y'all do music, great. If not, I just want you to meet him. So I pulled up um, and he was hella cool. And he was just like, play some music. You know, I wasn't even expecting him to say play some music, but I play some music. And I think that record was the second one I played. And he immediately was like, oh yeah, load this up. And he knocked this part out in like 30 minutes. And what's crazy about the Wale thing is like, I had a meeting with Empire probably like a couple months before my album dropped, just with the whole team to just discuss the drop. And I had this other record that was more is more in line with like the California poppy stuff I do, you know, just kind of feel good music like that. And I think Ghazi was like, oh, man, we need a, a rapper on this. Like I hear Wale on it. And so Nima um, was like, yeah, I guess his relationship is like closer with Wale. Nima was like, oh, I'll send it. I'll send it to Wale. And so what he did was he accidentally sent him Beauty and the Madness because he got confused, mm-hmm. you know, and um Wale was like, oh, this this record is hard, whoop-de-whoop. And then when Nima realized it, he was like, oh, shit, that's the wrong record. Let me send you the right one. And so he sent him the other record, and Wale was like, nah, man, that first record, that's the one I'm trying to get on. Um, so, yeah, he just, you know, he did it out of pure love, bro. Like like I said, I've never talked to him. I think I tweeted him a couple times. I'm not sure if he saw it. I told, you know, I told Nima to tell him thank you and shit. But, yeah, I've never talked to dude, but he, he was solid for doing that, for sure. For this album, you also rented a house out in L.A. with some of your friends. P-Lo was there as well to to record this album. For sure. Yeah, and that's the same session. Like, So Beauty and the Madness, Save Yourself, um, what other records? Balance. Uh, I think those three records maybe... I think it was just those three records because in that we rented a house in Hollywood for about a week and we just did hella music. We probably made like, you know, 30, 40 songs. But those three records came out of that house. I think we damn near might have did Beauty and Beauty and the Madness and Save Yourself in the same day. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a lot of the homies, a lot of different producers um, just pulling up and vibing and, you know, hella music came out of it. And it's meaningful music at what you're going through in life and in, in other ways. And there's people out there once loved ones pass away they turn the psychics just to get some sort of connection with their loved ones that have passed have you thought about going to potentially see a psychic maybe connect in some sort of way get some kind of feeling that your parents are around because i know i heard that you feel as though when you're playing the acoustic guitar that in the thump of the chords you feel as though your mother's spirit is with you interesting um no i I haven't thought about seeing a psychic but i did you know i have like a little altar you know, where I have some pictures of my parents and candles and stuff. And, you know, sometimes I'll sit there and just kind of think about them and, and meditate a little bit. But I feel like um, for me, I feel like my parents are so much ingrained in me and all the good shit that happens in my mind. I'm just like, that's the blessings from them. And I could just feel in certain situations, my parents kind of, you know, guiding me and talking to me. So I feel like they're so much in me, you know, that sometimes I don't even feel like they're gone for real because I feel like they're just so much in every decision I make and everything that I do. 
Um, I don't know if I'm going to see a psychic that seems a little exotic, but maybe, you know, for <laughs> certain people, you know, if that's, your, if that's your thing, then go for it. Yeah. I know there's some people that do that. Just thinking about everything that's going on right now, because everything that you've done in music, you said that it was a validation of your parents. So now do you just continue to continue that validation to your parents spirit, spiritually, or do you look for some other form of validation perhaps? Um, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I just kind of take it, you know, a day at a time and just keep, you know, moving with love and, and the right intentions. And I feel like, you know, that that's what they would want me to do. You know, I just try my best with whatever I'm doing to honor them, whether it be through the music, whether it be through community service, whether it be tapping in with loved ones, it's just like, just whatever I'm doing, I'm just trying to do something that's, that's for them that I know that they would want me to do, like I said, to honor them. With the family members and friends that didn't come out to you when you were going through your difficult time, have they reached out to you since the release of the album or no? Um, Pretty much everybody has reached out to me, but I feel like what's interesting through all these interviews and shit I've been doing, it's like I don't want to necessarily put the blame on them in terms of like they weren't there because I feel like one of the biggest things is like communicating that you need help. I feel like people like like we were just talking about people aren't psychic. People can't reach a mind. And I feel like, you know, in a lot of people's mind, them not tapping in on my end might have been them being like, I'm going to give them space. You know what I'm saying? It's not even like it might not even have been a negative thing. They might have not known what to say. And that's another thing I've learned through this process is that a lot of people, it's not that they don't want to show up, it's that they don't know how. And so they don't. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to bother you or they don't want to be too emotional. Um, but I feel like for somebody who's going through grief or if you're going through anything at some point you have to communicate when you need help. Like people will tap in and check on you, but if you're not responding or you're not reaching out, then, you know what I'm saying? They don't really know how to help you. So I think also on my end, you know, I could have communicated it better. You know, luckily I have the platform of music to say some shit in and everybody listening, they tap in. Um, but I think it was also, you know, on my end, just not letting people know, that yo, I could I could use a shoulder to lean on. I could use somebody to talk to type shit. I, I think that especially your fans too, especially reaching out to your DM, that should be a peace of mind as well when they say that I'm going through the same thing because that's something you want to bring the lessons that you learned and helping other people through the grieving process. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, but you have an interesting story because you've been all the way just from a young kid coming up playing the drums and your music, your family is always music orientated, especially with the Marshall Quartet out and growing up in Berkeley and then transitioning out to Vallejo, California. So you've been, you have a strong musical background and starting out on the Casio keyboard. Yeah, for sure. I had a Casio. Then back in the day, we had the um, little karaoke machine with the two tapes. Yeah. You can learn how to record over one. So I was just making little beats and shit. I'll plug, I'll have the output of the um, Casio going into the input of the, uh, the karaoke machine to record the music and then flip the tape over and then record over it. So yeah, you, you know, I've been innovative for a little while figuring shit out, but I was always, I grew up around music. Like you said, all my family did music. When I was growing up, I felt like I was the worst at music. You know, I had people in my family who could really play the piano, guitar, drums, really sing. Like I never have felt like I could really sing. That's why auto-tune has been a blessing for me. I just learned how to tweak it. Uh, but it's just, <laughs> Yeah, so I've just been around it my whole life. And then also just, like I said, my parents had that delivery service. So I'd just be in the back of the car. All the quiet day. storm you'd be listening to. KBLX, you know, um, 98.1, KML, all that shit. Just like I was always surrounded by, by music my whole life. 
Neo Soul, that was the main inspiration for you as well. Erica Badu and your favorite albums, D'Angelo's Voodoo. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like I'm lucky enough when I grew up, there was like a Neo Soul renaissance. You know what I'm saying? Like that shit was on the radio. It was cool. Like Erica Badu, Jill Scott, like you said, D'Angelo, Lauren Hill, um, Flower Tree, all those type of people were like played on. It was popping. You know what I'm saying? So um, I was lucky. I was lucky enough to live in a time where I got those influences, and it's clean now because you see more artists who are around my age starting to sound like that because that's where we come from. Um, I feel like yeah, that you know, of course, the rap music that was on the hip hop stations, and my parents was playing the oldies. You know, I just got a and my mom playing gospel. I just got a variety of a lot of music in my life. In middle school is when you started to really make some music, and you were burning CDs and selling them at school. Do you have copies of these CDs still? Damn near. I damn near got, yeah, every now and then I'll be cleaning up and I'll find some, you know what I'm saying? Like randomly, but I know hella the homies got them. Like a lot of the homies are randomly just tell me they got the CD or they got it on their old iPod or something. Like I got old ass computers in the garage that, you know, I'm going to go through and get some shit off. But yeah, they're just laying around the house, all, all different kind of places. That's amazing. Especially that you got those memories right there on the CDs. Have you popped one of them in into a CD player and listening like, man, maybe I could remix this and update it to today. <laughs> not, not that I can remix and update it, but I for <laughs> sure have like came across some CDs. What's crazy with CDs? I don't even have the mechanism to play CDs. It's very hard to play a CD you now. Um, but like I have, what's funny is like last week I have I have this Google Drive that I've had for since college, damn near since maybe like 2011. That anytime I get a new computer, I just dump all the shit on the Google Drive. Mm-hmm. And I was just on there last week just listening to hella high school music that I have made in high school and put on the Google Drive. And I was like, God, I was a whole different dude. You could just tell I was listening to pure Lil Wayne, you know, <laughs> just trying to sound <laughs> the like Carter three. Yeah, bro. Just trying to sound like Roger F. Baby. So um yeah, every now and then I'll hear it and I'll turn it on. And it's it's, it's hilarious, bro. It's interesting just like seeing me kind of find myself. But this started, the whole name came from Rex Life Raj. You wanted to do the Jurassic Park logo. But more importantly, with forming your own group in high school, it was a group that you feel as though were just being themselves and finding their way. And it was a group of collectives, producers, videographers, photographers, musicians. And that formed to just go on from there. And you remember recalling a moment performing at a 16th birthday party for a girl. And when everyone showed up from people from your high school, everyone knew the words to the music. Yeah, I think, um, I don't remember whose party that was, but I think it was at what what is now called the Starline Amphitheater, uh, I don't think it's the Amphitheater, but the Starline Club in Oakland. Um, but yeah, we performed there, and that's when I was in a group called Goon Squad, actually. And um, we was performing at that, you know, a hell of people knew the words, but yeah, nah, it was, in high school, it was crazy, because like, we were popping, and at the same time, g Easy went to my high school, and he was in a group that's called right. the Boys, him and Marty Grimes. Um the pack was popping. So Lil B and, and Lil Uno and Young L and all those dudes were popping. I Am Sue and uh, P-Lo were all at Pinole because my best friend at the time, um, Devin, he went to Pinole. We went to middle school together. I went to Berkeley High. He ended up going to Pinole. So Berkeley High and Pinole always had a connection. And um, I, I can't remember what, you know, that group's name was, but it was I Am Sue. I feel like it was Show Banger. Hilo, the go the go getters was it the go getters maybe i don't remember but it's just like all all these bay area dudes that are around my age were kind of like lit in their own right in high school so you know just to see it kind of pop off like this is crazy 
Music was always something that you wanted to do despite going on to play D1 at Boise State and winning the Fiesta Bowl, playing offensive lineman, tackle, guard. You were going to go back to music anyway, but you, you had your time in football, a good run there. Do you see football eventually coming to an end with everything that's been going on with the CTE and how the NFL hides all the things that the players go through once they retire, especially with CTE? Do you feel that as though that eventually you see football coming to an end or you think there's so much money in it that it's going to keep going on and on? My bad. That was Alexa. She just be talking. That's hella crazy. <laughs> Hold on. From your calendar, Raj Ari with Ari Simon starts in 30 minutes. That's hilarious, my bad. Uh, hey, Alexa, turn off. <laughs> I just got that thing that's funny um I don't know if I see uh football coming to an end because it's so much money to be made in it yeah um but I think that you're going to just going to see a lot a lot more changes a lot more safety measures like the shit they've been doing you can't hit the quarterback in the head you know certain hits coming across the middle you can't do it's a certain area you can hit in um I think eventually they're going to stop like kickoff returns and, and that kind of shit. Cause that is where niggas get hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a, a vicious part of the game. Um, but I don't see it coming to an end. No, I just feel like it'll just be a lot more restricted and a, a lot less fun to watch, but better for the player safety for sure. Mm-hmm. Once you get out of college, did you make any valuable music connections when you were in college before we move on from the college topic did you make any valuable music connections while you were in college on the side of playing football because college is all about networking they say um no not anything in music you know what i'm saying because i was doing music really low-key not low-key but i wasn't really focused on it like i had to set up in the dorms and and at the crib and the homies would come and rap but it wasn't anything serious so it wasn't like i was out and about you know doing music i was still doing music with the homies from back home sending tracks and stuff um, but nothing in music. All my connections were Boise State connections and like football connections for sure. You get back home and you, and you felt as though that you were lost at that time when getting back home because you were starting from the ground up again and you had to build up. You were working for your parents' delivery business and you were just driving around at night and you, you've spoken about it that one of your most depressed times in life was after you graduated college and, and driving the truck around. Now, how was it? transitioning through this period and going through it and what was your mindset and trying to make it to the next level what were you occupying your mind with and telling yourself and moving to that next step to get your music to the next level and get in the industry um yeah it was just it was it was for sure like a really depressing time in my life because I just went from you know doing five years of literally living with your best friends and seeing homies every day and doing everything with them. And then when I came back home, a lot of the dudes I had went to college with, a bunch of them didn't come back. Dudes had moved. A couple of my homies that got killed. Um, so when I came back, it weren't there weren't too many people here. So I just really felt alone, you know. And then to top it off, I was my parents' business wasn't doing good at the time. So I was working for them for free um, just because I just wanted to help them. But that put me in the car you know, like eight or nine hours a day where my mind just like going and you think a lot, you know, and you just like kind of just getting your own head. But um, I think for me, it kind of worked out because what I started doing was I just would start writing hella music in the car. You know what I'm saying? Like I turn on beats and I would just write, you know, and that's where like the first father figure came from. I dropped a project called Dreamland. I dropped a project called Portraits back then. And then all those songs like were basically me in the car writing and I feel like it was cool because it helped me really develop my sound and find myself. Um, 
for sure. But it was one of those things like, man, you got to do what you got to do because you don't want to be driving these cars forever. It wasn't ever, you know, I told my parents I didn't really want to take over the business. Like I would help them as much as possible. But like my dream was always music. So for me, it just kind of, you know, lit a fire under me. Like, yo, if you want to get out of this car, you got to really turn it up. But you, you've had a lot of inspirations, Tony, Tony, Tony. You cited them as a main reference, Raphael Sadiq. And you could tell that you draw the inspiration for them in your music as far as your vocals go. Yeah, for sure. Like the Bay Area is so rich in music and culture. And I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people sleep on Raphael. He's from out here and he's, you know, a pioneer in music. The same I think about like Guapale, you know what I'm saying? Or even just anything funk. It all comes from the Bay um, so I'm just, yeah, inspired by all that, including like, you know, the rap, you know, super inspired. Mac Maul, Mac, Maul, Mac Dre, E-40. Um, Keep the Sneak. Keep the Sneak. All those dudes were were super raw to me. Um, but I was, you know, anything melodic, I'm I'm driven towards, you know. So I loved Guapale. I loved Rafael Sadiq. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's where I got a lot of inspiration from. Moxie Java changed your career with Nefta Pharaoh because this was the one that opened you up to really get some exposure out there and, and put you on the map to just where you are at now. For sure. Um, and that was hella random. Like my my engineer at the time, Javari, just happened to know Neff's people somehow. And I didn't know Neff at the time. And he sent him the record and Neff just fucked with it. And he hopped on and, you know, it was history from there. We shot the video and, and you know, me and Neff been cool ever since, and, you know, because he was super popping at the time um and he didn't have to to do it and he did so i'm I'm forever grateful for him yeah and that just opened up a lot of different doors for me especially the freestyle that you did the snoop dog which was reposted back in 2014 2015 especially g easy retweeting you on twitter because this would actually end up leading you to getting your management with ari yeah so i actually got my management with ari through because two of my homies were managing me before my homie cad and aubrey and i feel like aubrey knew ari somehow um and yeah so what's crazy about ari is that he went to san jose state and you know in the beginning of my career when i got out of college i would just do college shows in san jose and he was like the mc and the host and it was funny because he would like freestyle and she would do acapellas before i rapped because like that was his thing because he was a rapper too um, wow. And we we kind of kept that relationship. And then, um, you know, at some point he got the job at Empire and then he just offered to like really manage me because Cat and Aubrey, um, you know, they had their respective careers. They were just doing it to help me as a homie, which I, you know, I, I love them to this day for. Um, so he kind of just stepped in. And when he got the job at Empire, he just kind of brought me with him. And then we've been mobbing ever since. Yeah, that opened the doors for you right there. And you remember when Empire was at its beginning stages and now it's international. Yeah, no, I remember when Empire had the tiny office, I think, on Petrero. You know what I'm saying? It was super small. Um, Yeah, but it's just been amazing to just watch them grow and and get global. And seeing Ghazi and Nima's hustle has been, you know, inspiring to me, you know, just like I said, seeing where they started and where they are now. And anytime I talk to Ghazi, he has these crazy, you know, visions and ideas, but what's nuts is he always brings them to life. And that, yeah, I see myself in that, which is really clean. Um, so yeah, just watching them grow and prosper has been amazing. But what's also really tight about Empire is that for how big they've got, it still feels like a close-knit family. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't feel like a, from the stories I hear of major labels, it don't feel like that at all. Um, it's always, you know, it's always love. It's always pure empire. So I'm, I'm forever indebted to empire. 
the Zuckerbergs of the world got your mind hijacked. I want all of my time back. Did you end up using the Dr. Phil audio clip or do you plan on using that in the, in the future in one of your projects? I want to use it in the future. I, did, I didn't I didn't use it on this project. It's got so oh. much going on. But yeah, now I would love to use that. <laughs> I don't know if he got to clear it or what, but if you feel me, if he do, I would love to use that because that was a moment for sure. That was insane. Super insane. Mm-hmm. It definitely was another cosign for your career, with G- especially working with G-Eazy because you guys went to middle school and high school together. So talk to me the first time that you guys linked up in the studio after college. Did you have any talks with each other about remembering things, being together in middle school, just seeing each other and how his career went and how you're now pursuing music to the full potential? What was the conversation like the first time that you guys worked together in the studio, being that you guys went to middle school and high school together? Yeah, I feel like we we chopped it up and we reminisced about stuff. Um, I don't think I talked to him too much while I was in college, just because I had too, so much stuff going on. But as soon as like I got out and I was doing music, um, he tapped in with me to. I think he was at Zoo Labs. I can't remember if it was Zoo Labs or Jungle Labs, whatever one is in Oakland, because um, he has these camps for his um, album, and he wanted me to pull up. Um, and so I pulled up, and we we just reconnected, and it's always been love with him because. He's the same way in terms of Neff. Like he's always been in position and he, and he put people on when he don't have to. Um, so yeah, it's just like, you know, tapping in with him and just seeing his grind and his, you know, his willpower to, you know, just get shit done has been super clean. And so, yeah, we tapped in, we've done hella music since then, but yeah, he's just been a real, a real thorough guy and a real solid friend. So I appreciate him. And when he retweeted you, that was big because that stayed at the top of the feed for a while. So it, Got you a lot of traction. Thank God. Yeah, for sure. I was running, man, actually. And he tweeted it. And then for whatever reason, he just wasn't on Twitter for a minute. (laughs) 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 And and ran up. I was like, yeah, it's hella clean. God God working mysterious ways. So that's clean. How'd it feel to get praise from Pharrell and E-40 knowing that these are two legends in the game? Because those are two other major co-signs from legends. And you love the legends. Uh, It was crazy. You know what I'm saying? It just just insane feeling is it just validates the things in me I already knew but to hear it from people of that stature was just like man you know you really got it because I feel like any artist that's starting off you have to be delusional to think that you're gonna get popping you know there's some you have to be kind of out your mind because it's just so saturated there's so much music out you know and to think that you could be the one to maneuver through you got to be a little delusional so I just think like those cosigns from from such you know legendary artists who have maintained significance for so long. Cause to me, that's the thing. You know, what I'm saying it's like they're not just like legendary artists. They're just still to this day, you know, going crazy. So to get the cosign from them and just the approval from them telling me like I'm doing the right thing was amazing. Yeah, and that's and that's what artists like you do it for because there's a lot of times people just get in the game and you're not one of those artists they just want to get on get popular right away make money and that's all fine and okay as far as feeding your family supporting your family but i think when you get the co-sign of your peers that means you're in it for the long term and that you're in their lane almost you're on the way to being a legendary artist and as well as their status for sure and i think it just feels good to get recognition from other artists Cause you know what I'm saying? Like when dope artists think that you're tight, that means you're actually tight. You know what I'm saying? Cause you know, fans like music, but I don't feel like they listen to it in the same way that other creators listen to it, you know, and they don't critique it the same way. So I think just getting respect from other artists is, is a really big deal. 
DJ K Slay. This is a guy who cared about all the artists up and coming, no matter how many social media followers they had. As long as you had great quality music, you were on his show. This was your first live freestyle on a live radio show that was major, especially. What was your relationship with him? And just keeping, did you guys keep in contact after that interview? No, I wish we did. We didn't. But like you said, it was just like my first one and it was super tight. He was super thorough guy. You know, he's everything, everything I thought he would be, you know what I'm saying? And he was just super cool. You know, I'm forever grateful for him for providing me with that platform. Um, Cause it was interesting. Like looking back on it, I was like, ah, bro, you was just trying to figure it out. Like, I feel like I looked insane. I was nervous, all kind of shit, but you kind of got to start somewhere, you know what I'm saying? But it, it was just, it kind of opened my eyes to just that world of media. You know, I wasn't used to that and just, you know, getting my mind right and preparing for it better. And it was a, it was a real learning lesson for sure. I appreciate all the charity work that you do. I want to touch base on that because you give back to your high schools, especially Berkeley high with the cleats and the helmets and just different things, because you know that there were resources there that were upgraded to the most potential and to the best capabilities. And you made sure that to give back to them, the people's breakfast of Oakland and even the youth program for radio, youth radio program that you give back to as well. Uh, yeah, I just feel like it's important to me to to give back to to people in need because I feel like those programs and you know the athletic program is a place that's fostering these kids and it's a really important and imperative place for their future. You know what I'm saying? Like if you invest in those things and you put the resources around these kids that they need, that can that can literally change their health. And I feel like with me, I'm always able to like give my actual time because I'm moving around and I'm not always around. But anyway, I could give resources or, you know, connect people, just connecting dots. Cause I feel like that's the position I'm in now. Berkeley High just got a new coach, um, Coach Perry, and somebody told him to hit me because it's like, oh yeah, Raj to help you figure whatever you need out um to being a dot connector, I feel like goes a long way. You know, so it, in any way I could step in and help and you know donate or just direct my following to a good cause. I always try to do it. You also partnered with Puma and you and Kalani gave out a bunch of sneakers to people as well. Yeah, that was actually um, the people's breakfast of Oakland. So we, that was them. And it was me, um, Kaylani, Guap Dad and All Black. And, you know, we gave back, we partnered with Puma and we gave out hella shoes, a lot of hygiene kits and food um, to the, to the houses people in West Oakland. And it was just a beautiful experience because I hadn't did anything like that since college, you know what I'm saying? Like actually being in the field like that and just to see it and the immediate effect it was having on people was was just amazing. So shout out People's Breakfast, shout out Roller, shout out Blake, because they, they out there doing God's work for real. They definitely are. With everything that just happened in the recent years, have you thought about possibly starting your own organization eventually or just donating to cancer research? Yeah, I for sure thought about it. And I want to, you know, figure it out. But I'm the type of dude I want to be thorough about it and make sure I'm going about it the right way. Um, I think now that the album is out and I'll have more time after tour, like I'm not sure what next year looks like for me, I'll definitely dedicate time and resources to figuring that out because I think that's a, you know, um, a crucial part of my story and, and the cause that I want to help in any way possible. That's an amazing thing. Rex Life Rods, is there anything else you want to let your, the audience know, the fans know that we didn't cover here tonight? We went deep. We went deep. I uh, appreciate you too, man. This is a good interview. I appreciate um, that. Uh, just listen to the album, The Blue Hour. Um, it's out on anywhere you can listen to music. I'm going on tour. Tickets are on sale now. Um, September, it starts September 22nd in Dallas. It ends in San Francisco, November 4th. 
um, you know, we're doing the, doing the whole nation in Canada. So check it out. But yeah, man, I just appreciate people tapping in and all the love and shit I've been getting. It. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And, and keep being a real artist, too. And, and you're going to be coming out to New York as well. So I'm located in the tri-state area. Yeah, man. Pull up on me. Yeah. I'm going to have to come out. It's in Brooklyn, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe. It might yeah. be in Brooklyn. Um, I thought it was Manhattan, but it could be Brooklyn. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll definitely have to make it out to one of the shows. You got the the meet and greets and all that too. Yeah, man, slide on slide on me. It'd be tight. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it, man. Keep doing great things here and inspiring and getting people through the grieving process. Because, like I said earlier, that line of you know when people they don't they don't they only be seeing the highlights, they don't be seeing the struggle. That line hit me different when I heard that. That line for sure, man. That's that's really than anything out in the industry right now. I'll tell you, man. Keep doing that because it's going to get you a long way. Appreciate that, bro. Shout out to everyone that helped set this up as well. Shout out to Lily. Shout out to your management. You know, keep doing your thing, man. They can follow you on Instagram and Twitter at Rex Life Raj. Yes, sir. Keep going, man. Rex Life Raj, I want you to take care. Enjoy the rest of your night and stay safe, man, out here. Big things on the way. Same to you, man. Yep. Peace out, man. Peace.